whether we're building cars or trucks or running parts distribution centers, whether we're writing movies or performing TV shows, whether we're making coffee at Starbucks, whether it's nursing people back to health, whether it's educating students from preschool to college, we do the heavy lifting. We do the real work. Welcome back, everybody. David here, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Matt Leck. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing very well, David. Well, we got some stuff to get the blood flowing today. We're going to be talking UAW strike, and what better guest than our good friend Jacob from the Valley Labor Report, um, who is always uh, covering labor. Um, and uh, we're very thrilled to, to have you on the program, friend. I appreciate it. Always love talking to y'all, and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. So we're going to go through a, a few things today, y'all. We're going to give people a quick update on what's going on with the strike. We're going to talk about the politicians. And then as a little treat for everybody, we're going to talk about some of the super bad commentary that's coming from some people on the left on the strike. But before we get that, let's not forget uh, you know, what it is that we're so excited about. I don't know if, Matt, you've seen this, uh, but maybe just to you know get the, the juices flowing a little bit, I just want to play a couple seconds from this excellent ad that the UAW uh, put out the other day. Looking at this sea of red shirts today, I see power. Power of united class. Around 13,000 of our members are on strike. And depending on what happens as we continue bargaining, more may be joining them really soon. In their economy, workers live paycheck to paycheck while the billionaires buy another yacht. In their economy, we make all the sacrifice and they take all the profit. In their economy, one of our workers would have to work 400 years to make what the CEO makes in one year. So we're going to- So that's just, you know, one bit of the stuff that's been coming out from the UAW. And again, shout out to, you know, the UAW's media team, which is just putting out excellent stuff. Um, but that really hits on, on a few things. One, I think the, the genuine excitement um, and support uh, within the UAW and also in the country at large right now uh, for this strike um, and also the fact that this is, uh, you know, a strike in, in, in a labor movement that is really doing the work of identifying the fact that this is a class struggle uh, strike and conflict mm. here. Um, so, we're, you know, I want to talk a little bit more in depth about that. But, uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the program. I know everybody's been following our advice here and continuing to do the work of supporting the UAW. This is a good time to be online supporting them. Uh and, and all of that. Um, but Jacob, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious if you were to give somebody a, a quick recap who might have not been following the past uh, week or so of, of these early day strikes, um, you know, how would you sort of categorize uh, this movement so far? Well, um, very good is, is the category that I would put it in. Um, very exciting and educational uh, for people that, that don't, you know, we've got a union leader from Kokomo, Indiana on national news like mm. every day almost, right? And not only is that happening, which in and of itself would be pretty cool, right? but he is saying exactly the kind of class struggle unionist things that 
nobody hears on these mainstream media uh, places uh, talking about who creates the value, talking about class war, uh, talking about um, uh, all of the kind of stuff that, that you would hope to hear from a union leader and that you heard from, you know, Mick Lynch over in the UK mm -hmm. during those rail strikes. And, and I think at that time, all of us were kind of opining like, man, I wish the United States had a Mick Lynch. And uh, I think we've got two in the, as I call them, labor shawns. So uh, they're doing a very, very good job. I think, and uh, particularly the UAW. And um, so, so that, that's kind of the general category that I would put it in. Um, I don't know uh, how much more you want me to go before you, uh, uh, you know, prompt anything yeah. else, but... No, I mean, um, let's let's talk a little bit about the strategy. And again, like I think most people who watch um, your program and our program, they've sort of heard this this outlined here. But maybe some some kind of quick updates for folks. Remember, what the strategy right now is what they're calling the stand up strike. And the stand up strike is something that is sort of a rolling uh, movement. The idea is to hit a few facilities up front, build more support, build more enthusiasm, and also to be able to use that as leverage uh, to be able to increase as these contract negotiations. Uh, go on. And again, we'll get to some of the criticism stuff later, but the fact is now that we've been in it for a little while and what have we been seeing uh, from these strikes, right? Have they been rolling back or have they been expanding? Uh, they've been expanding, actually, is the answer to that question, um, and uh, in a very, very cool way and that I think really shows the power and the flexibility that this strategy has. And, and so, um, you know, to uh, uh, the on the 14th is when um, when they initially went on strike uh, at midnight on um, September 14th, you know, early morning on uh, September 15th is when they initially went on strike. And what they did was they went on strike at one plant uh, at each of the big three automakers and they were final assembly plants. And so, uh, you can really kind of, uh, it's pretty self-explanatory what happens there. Uh, they are assembled finally, right? The last thing that happens before you go to the dealerships. Um, and so you're not going to sell any products if your uh, final assembly plants are shut down. Um, so that's where they went first and they made it very clear that if there was not significant movement that uh, they would expand those strikes and so expanding the strikes is what they did at two of the big three automakers to their parts distribution centers and so the expansion is pointed in a couple of ways it one just the fact that it happened uh, because you know it was a punishment for not moving on really key issues. Uh, and then the people that they chose to strike, the parts distribution centers, are places where they have kind of the highest prof rate of profit, like 30 to 40% of the revenue that comes in there is profit as opposed to other places where it's smaller. And uh, also those are the people that are really kind of getting the short end of the stick at these big three automakers, the parts distribution centers. Uh, they're on a second pay scale at uh, the CCA, customer care centers uh, at um, GM. They're making like 20 bucks an hour. And, uh, <laughs> you know, totally different. They don't have uh, the same health care or retirement plans as the assembly workers. And so 
having those people go on strike actually pointed out kind of the absurdity of having those people on a second or third tier of mm. uh, wages and benefits. Like, you know, look, if you don't, if you think these people aren't uh, worth what our other members are, well, let's see you go without them. Uh, and that was, you know, I think that that was that. Uh, that was a benefit and a good uh, kind of message value, but they didn't expand at Ford, uh, and that was because Ford made, I mean, genuinely huge movement at the bargaining table. There's still a long way to go, and Sean Fain was clear that he is not taking off more strike expansions at Ford off the table, uh, and so you know what he did, what what they did, what the what the workers did at GM and Stellantis is kind of serves also as a message to Ford, like this is what's waiting for you if you don't meet us the rest of the way, but we are going to reward you, you know, this week for uh, for coming along. And the power that the union has to be able like, we're going to reward you, we're going to punish you, you're not going to know where it's going to come from, like that's really cool. And that kind of power is something that, uh, you know, people on Wall Street or executive types don't think that workers can and certainly should hold. Um, but the, the the progress that was made at the bargaining table at Ford, like I said, is very big. Their parts distribution centers have been brought up to the same tier as assembly workers. So um, uh, this this proposal says, okay, look, you know, you'll get the same wages and benefits and retirement package as the um, as assembly workers, which is huge. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. they, they had a similar kind of differential there from like twenty something to thirty something an hour at the assembly plants, twenty something at the parts distribution centers. They reinstated cola, which is something that Sean Fain. Could you remind people what that is? Yeah, cost of living adjustment, and that is something that Sean Fain has. Uh, uh, made pain, made pains to express to people that uh, nobody thought that was going to be on the table anymore mm -hmm. um, at the beginning of this thing. Uh, they didn't think that you'd get a deficient cola, much less the cola formula that was given up in 2009. That's the formula that they got back. And so what cola does is it basically, you've got your general wage increases that are going to happen every year. So, uh, you know, however much of the, uh, the raise is on the table, 20% or whatever. On top of that, you have inflation every year, right? And so the cost of living adjustment increases your wages to help you account for inflation. And uh, so that is a really, really big deal to have that, to have the risk of inflation shared by the worker and the company. Because companies want all of that risk on us. Uh, mm -hmm. People don't talk about it that way, but that's what happens when we don't have COLA in our contrast, contracts, is that we are bearing the risk of inflation. And we can see that extremely well with the last contract from 2019, where they had a 6% increase, a 6% raise since 2019 to the top wage rate. And 20% inflation, that's a 15% pay cut since 2019. Uh, mm. And that only happened because all of the risk for inflation was placed on the workers because they didn't have COLA. Well, now they have COLA um, at Ford. And so that's a, you know, I mean, that's just a huge, huge deal. Yeah, and like, and we'll see, uh, you know, w what happens with potential expansions as, you know, we did see Ford um, lay a threat of mm -hmm. uh, canceling a, a, a plant uh, construction. 
uh, for EV batteries, if I if I if I recall, recall correct, correctly. But um, no, I mean one hundred percent. say like I, the ability to be able to do like divide and conquer a little bit too. One, mm-hmm. it's it 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 helps from a new from a PR um, narrative standpoint because instead of uh, oh, look at these workers making these unrealistic right. demands, one folds, then that narrative is what's going on with these other ones. So yeah, right. like the strategy from that perspective just seems like mm-hmm. very smart. And I also I wanted to add a couple other things. I mean, there really was a lot of movement at Ford, and there were a couple of things that I forgot that I think are even potentially more important. Uh, the right to strike <laughs> over <laughs> plant closures. Ford is willing to give that up. And, you know, for people that don't bargain union contracts or they're not familiar with the bargaining of union contracts, like the right to strike is the very first thing that the boss tries to take away from you. And so Ford being willing to give the UAW to say, Yes, you can have it in our contract that you have the right to strike over plant closures. That is huge. Uh, they also had income security for up to two years with health care in the event of an indefinite layoff. And that applies to all employees with 90 days of service, including temps. That's huge. Profit sharing, 13.3% increase in profit sharing with this new formula and immediate conversion of all temporary employees with at least 90 days of employment upon ratification. So, I mean, really a lot of movement from Ford that we're not seeing at the other companies, right? On the parts distribution centers, uh, GM matched Ford, but Stellantis did not. And GM was originally saying on top of, you know, these people are a second tier. We're not we're not even offering them any raises for four mm-hmm. years. Zero raises is what we're offering our parts distribution workers. That's what GM's original offer was. And now they've eliminated that wage tier at GM. Um, Cola, GM and Stellantis both offering deficient Cola formulas. Again, remember, Cola wasn't on the table, supposedly, and now it's on the table. Ford gave them the 2009 formula. GM and Stellantis are giving them deficient formulas, but Cola's on the table there. Um, Job security, GM Stellantis rejected all of their proposals. Same with profit sharing and same uh, same with temps. But with profit sharing... GM and Stellantis came to the table with concessions. They were asking for a 20% cut in profit sharing. And so now they're just saying, okay, we're fine with the status quo, um, which is not acceptable, but that's that's even movement from GM and Stellantis. Um, so, you know, I mean, uh, the question of, you know, is the stand-up strike strategy working? I think is, it, you know, it's preliminary, but it's looking like uh, it's been pretty effective. And so, you know, later when we start to respond a little bit more in depth to some of the criticism, I think we'll talk about these tactics uh, more in depth. But, um, you know, just two quick things. I think everybody's probably very familiar with um, some of these stories about the chaos that this has been creating for the companies, right? Mm. The ability to be able to use kind of clandestine tactics to say, hey, we're going to shut down, you know, whispers that we're going to shut down this plant and actually, oh, we're going to shut down another one, which means that the company is having to move things around causing them to lose tremendous amounts of money. Um, all the while, you know, one, you're protecting the strike fund, which allows the company, uh, sorry, the, the UAW to continue the strike um, as long as they need to. And let's also remember that while you are hitting the profits of these companies, right? So let's imagine like the, in, in these stories, we don't have to imagine, in these stories of these facilities, right? Where they moved out, um, 
they moved out things and they shipped them to other facilities with the expectation mm-hmm. that, that this facility was going to shut down and this other one was going to stay open. And then it turns out the opposite is true. Um, well, those those facilities now are making less profit for the companies. And all the while, what do those companies have to do? They have to pay wages out to those workers, right? So it, it allows you to really hit the bosses and these companies in their in their pocketbooks. Um, right. And, you know, again, it's like it's a very interesting um, strategy. Uh, you know, it, it's definitely novel. Um, but, you know, to sit here and anybody to talk like, oh, they're afraid of going after profit for these companies. is just wrong at this point. Yeah, well, the... Um I, and I think that, you know, Matt, Sam had a really good point about the psychological impact of this strategy and the confusion that it has caused on the executives. Uh, you know, when he talked about the 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 idea in the media that people want workers to believe is that, you know, we're just automatons and we can't think for ourselves and we certainly couldn't run businesses and we've got no idea the interest, the intricacies of how these businesses work. And, you know, that can the confusion really kind of put to bed that lie, right? The the union knows obviously how the production is run, but also how the company will respond in the event that they are threatened with a strike at this plant, right? And mm-hmm. and they leaked that information and and so that it's I you know, I think that psychological impact uh is 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 worth at least noting you know i don't know uh, obviously i think the material impacts are going to be what really moves moves the thing but i think it's it's always good when we can make fools out of uh, people <laughs> out of these people executives and and like the emo- on the emotional side too it's like a clarifying emotion right because the mm-hmm. management and the managers at the plant are getting scared because right. they're seeing stories about what's going on in other plants while the workers are like, oh, hell yeah. You know, these dudes right. over here, these folks over here are doing something exciting. And, you know, they're just like, when you get that kind of news, right, you can see mm-hmm. who likes these things and who doesn't, right? And that's a clarifying moment, you know, to, you know, borrow the old union phrase, what right. side are you on, right? And Labor Notes has been reporting about, and, and I think that actually this is educational for the people that are still going into work. They are exercising more power on the job than uh, they previously were able to or felt like they were able to or were expected to by their union in, you know, refusing voluntary overtime in, uh, you know, refusing changes in working conditions because they have an expired contract and you're not allowed after when a contract expires, uh, the employer is no longer allowed to make the the management's rights clause expires as well. So they can't change anything about the way that Mm. production or shifts or overtime schedules can't change anything like that without bargaining with the union first. And so being able to stand up to your boss in a way that you haven't before, I think is also hopefully educational and and power building in these other places that aren't even going on strike. I think that that's important as well. And, and, you know, the, uh, the stand-up strike is they've been calling a lot to the sit-down strikes. It's kind of an answer uh, is how Sean Frayne uh, worded it to the sit-down strikes in the 1930s. And um, in some ways, I had I, I had not even necessarily been aware of, of how parallel it was, actually, because the sit-down strike began at 
uh, one strategic plant, actually. <laughs> hmm. Wait, it wasn't a full walkout of all yeah, the uh, uh, UAW? Yeah. yeah, funny enough, actually. Hey, it was who's, one who's GM. thinking PMCs back then. <laughs> right, the PMCs <laughs> at the uh, at the head of the auto workers union in the 1930s uh, were, were really kind of leading them astray. But yeah, it began at one strategic plant. The rest of the GM plants kept working, and, and uh, the person that helped me see this is, is Patrick Shepard. He's a DSA organizer. Um, and, and I hadn't even been aware of that history, right? Uh, so the rest of the GM plants, they kept working, and uh, then it spread to a second after weeks, right? It wasn't even like, oh, the sit-down strike happens, and then the next day, everybody else, ev- the whole thing shut down. It only got to the second factory after a few weeks, and then that's when a settlement was reached, right? So it, it, it what it's actually incredibly uh, similar, and there are even more parallels than maybe you would even think to the sit-down strikes of the 1930s. Well, and, and yeah, and like I think that's that's an absolutely critical uh, point um, because sometimes uh, you know these things get said or presented in a way that yeah is not very reflective of the historical reality or the current reality. Um, but I, yeah, I know we I, got like we got. Oh, I sorry, have some man. points to make about that, but let's maybe uh, maybe yeah, we save got a lot that to, for when we, we get got a lot to get to because we're going to respond to those those criticisms more in depth later. Um, before we we get there, though, I mean we got to talk about the political um, angle because the fact is. Um, is that there is an aspect to the strike that is inherently political because um, parts of these fights are about things um, uh, regarding like federal government policy. Um, so we've seen something pretty historic uh, today, uh, which is that Joe Biden went and 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 walked the picket line um, at a UAW uh, strike. I don't know if we have any uh, video of that, um, but I'm curious. Uh, you know, I mean, I'll just say up front. I mean, like you know, I think the way to think about this is somebody who's like a big critic of Biden is to recognize this as like a true expression of political power for the UAW, which by the way, as I'm sure most people know, has not endorsed Joe Biden in the upcoming presidential election. So you're not endorsing this guy and you're sort of pulling him out from the White House to walk the picket line. To me, I see that as a huge victory um, for for the labor movement in the UAW. But I'm curious, uh, you know, your initial reactions, Jacob. Uh, I, I agree completely. I think that it's huge. And I think that, um, I, I, I'm in agreement about the tactic of not endorsing, uh, at this point, um, because I, uh, strategically, right. I think that there's just, there's, there's plenty of reason, even if you're a Biden supporter and, and you want them to ultimately endorse Biden. I mean, I, I think that even it, it would make sense to me that the Biden camp would want the, them to hold off on the endorsement, even though that's that's not what they're asking for, and that's not what they push the rest of the unions to do. And it doesn't make sense to me because it seems like if you do the endorsement later, then you get that news about unions supporting you when it's relevant, right? You know, it's nobody's. They're, gonna... still, they're still allergic to that. Like yeah. they almost like, and what they should almost like 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 you said like. And we have a clip too. I mean, let me just play this clip of Biden fist bumping while we uh, talk about this. But like, they should be. Um, like, like you say, Jacob, I 100% agree that like you should want the the the, the stinking um, news cycle, right? Yes. Like, why 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 get it all in the can? No one's impressed that everyone lines up anymore. Like nobody. Right. But here's Biden. Um, just to get this uh, image here, of course. Uh, fist bumping, you know, and we we carried his whole speech. Uh, maybe I should mute. Uh, Let's not try that in a small town. <laughs> um, 
Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, I kind of, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I agree with you guys entirely. Like this isn't about Biden. And I think it's, I think one thing that's interesting is like, this isn't at a high point of union power, right? This is, right. but th- this is like Fane, um, making this an issue by not doing the endorsement. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, that, that kind of shows the the value of, of, of kind of holding your endorsement for for the union you know I, I talked earlier about the value for for Biden right I think that there's value for Biden and UAW not endorsing right now but uh, but um, more importantly than that I think because that's like not my chief concern is that it's it's been helpful for the UAW and, it, and it's given them leverage to to pull him uh, like you said to, to pull him to the picket line which is something that you know there are there is some folks that are like oh it's, it's super cringe to to say that this is this is a big deal but uh, it's never happened before in American history as far as uh, labor historians can recall at this point uh, so you you know, I uh, obviously it's not the same as the UIW getting a great contract, but it's a you know that's a big deal, uh, right? I think that is definitely a big deal, and I think that when you're talking about oh this is the first time in American history that this has happened and it's not important, you're getting like too clever uh, and mm. you know kind of going over your skis a little bit. <laughs> Matt, you're quiet. Matt, you're muted. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. And the, the not endorsing allowed this to happen, right? Because Josh Hawley, mm. who cannot say the word union to save his life, nonetheless mm. has been doing right. this cosplay about how I'm actually like the working people's champ. There's a realignment going on. And he went out to the picket line and he doesn't mention the word unions, but he still like has to post pictures of UAW flying their flag. Mm-hmm. And again, like this is sort of thing like this is all and this is all david versus goliath stuff like taking down these automakers Mm -hmm. and so that's why like i find it so hard to uh, like hold off um criticizing the people who are planting their flag on this is a bad strategy now right and setting the setting this basically planting seeds to say i told you so Mm-hmm. Uh, criticizing decisions that were arrived at. You listen to Fane's, uh, um, you know, his live streams, like I've been doing, and he's very, like, upfront. He's, he's talking to, like, yes, like, on uh, one of them, I think it was, like, last week, Wednesday. You know, part of me wants to do the full strike right away, too. But this is the strategy we've arrived at with all of our different, like, this, this is arrived at through a labor union process. And to be jumping yeah. out ahead of it, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, maybe jumping a little bit ahead in our, our program here, but like, it's, it's really gross to me. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and just to, um, I, I, I really couldn't agree more. I think that there's, uh, you know, we can, we'll probably get to this uh, later, yeah. but there's some revolutionary fetishism I think that's going on. But you know, to pull it back to Biden, I, on top of the, on top of the the political leverage and the value for the UAW and and even for Biden, there are like. Th- they're not just doing this for the politics because there's real, real issues with what Biden has been doing in the auto industry um, and uh, that are important to understand as, as to why the UAW is not uh, is not endorsing him. Um, you know, giving billions of dollars to non-union um car manufacturers that are not only non-union, which like that for me is bad enough, but their standards for wages, benefits, and 
even perhaps most importantly, working conditions are miles below UAW plants. Um, Luis Feliz Leon has a huge report in in these times about uh, about a battery factory that is non-union, um, uh, and and the conditions there, and how how bad it is, how really really bad it is, and we've got billions of dollars going to this stuff, of uh, uh, you know public money, and uh, we should not be doing that. <laughs> we should be tying huge strings to this kind of stuff. The prospect had another report about how this is kind of you know. Uh, both in and outside of the auto industry, but Georgia is the number one receiver of clean energy jobs from the Inflation Reduction Act and the number one receiver of money from the Inflation Reduction Act. And not a penny is going to a union contractor for the construction of these plants or union uh battery makers or car manufacturers or anything like this. It's all going to non-union, uh, you know, freaks, right? And uh, it's being used to, uh, you know, oppress, uh, depress wages and oppress workers in Georgia. And uh, not good, not good. And Biden's got to be held to account for that. Yeah, and I think uh, let's get to some of these other politicians, Matt. But I will just say, you know, on that, like, the thing is, is that like this is something we should absolutely be celebrating because it is a it's indicative of the strength of the UAW and the labor movement right now as it's growing as it's getting more powerful that Joe Biden has to drag himself out to a picket line, but that is very far from praising Joe Biden who absolutely should be doing way like again very historic that he's there I think it's a great thing, one hundred percent should be doing way more particularly on the political aspect particularly on the amount of money right. that's coming from all of us right our tax money going to support companies that you say, hey, to all of these companies, you guys aren't going to get money um, if if you break this strike, for example, right? You know, come out and be strong. If you want to be Union Joe, that's the kind of stuff that you that you mm -hmm. need to be doing. So this isn't getting soft on Biden. It's recognizing a victory um, for, for the labor movement. But politicians all across the spectrum have been um, sort of forced to comment on this, as Matt was saying with Hallie. And like, you know, what the right is trying to do is they're trying to make it about the transition to um, EVs and, and, and renewables. Um, very cynical. And again, that's an opportunity that you get when Democrats and the federal government sort of fail right. to make sure that these things uh, work. I'm just going to read really fast and then uh, throw to you, Matt, um, from a friend of the program, Matt Huber, who was interviewed in The Hill uh, on a piece on this called Auto Workers Strike Brings EV Issues to the Fore. And I think that uh, Matt Huber puts this very succinctly. Um, what this fight is about. The UAW strike action is ultimately trying to realize one of the Biden administration's core policy goals and political mm -hmm. selling points. You can have good family sustaining union jobs alongside climate action. The problem is the automakers see EV production as a way to trim labor costs and yeah. to shift production to non-union plants. The UAW's ultimate proposal is that if it takes less labor to produce EVs, why not shorten working hours and maintain pay with the cost of living? Right. This would certainly lend credence to the Biden administration's claim that climate action can improve working and middle class lives. Right. Absolutely uh, should be the, the argument coming from the Biden administration and the action coming from them. And this is the opportunity for Howley to say, oh, actually, it's the electric vehicles that are creating this problem instead of the companies that are creating this problem. Exactly. And the um, 
like you said, it's important to point out that this is a self-made problem, like uh, many problems for Democrats. It did not have to be this way. They could have had uh, stronger strings tied to all of this money, and it didn't have to be the case that all, all so much public money uh, for the transition is going to these uh, real, um, you know, cretins and bottom of the barrel uh, contractors and, um, uh, and 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 auto manufacturers, and. Um, the uh, you know the Holly and all of them by pointing to Biden by trying to direct the anger of the strike uh, and and their audience to Biden they are refusing to endorse the UAW's demands I mean you know it was there was a big deal made out of Joe Biden endorsing a forty percent raise for UAW members no Republican is doing that no Republican in fact or few Republicans are even endorsing kind of a general like yeah they deserve higher pay and better benefits and, and better hours and better working conditions you know it's all like I support them in their strike against Biden's, you know, EV yeah. plan or whatever. And that's just like, that's not what's happening. <laughs> They're supporting a strike that doesn't exist, as uh, Adam Johnson wrote for <laughs> The Real News. <clears throat> um, you know, there's a line that I'm seeing going around. It looks like the earliest I've, I've seen on Twitter that I can find in search is Kareem El Rifai. Uh, saying uh, this is Biden is the best president of my lifetime, and then in parentheses derogatory, <laughs> which kind of sums it up because there's this yeah. quote from a uh, former um, uh, Obama guy here, Brett mm. Ratner, uh, or Stephen Ratner. Brett Ratner is the Hollywood mm. guy. I think. Um, uh, says for him to be going on a picket line is outrageous. Stephen Ratner, who headed former President Obama's auto industry task force, said in an interview, "There is no precedent for it. The tradition of the president is to stay neutral in these things. I get the politics." Uh, the progressives all said, we don't want a mediator, we want an advocate, and he bowed to the progressives, and now he's going out there to put his thumb on the scale, and it's wrong. And, you know, like you say, like, the thumb is on the scale, uh, Stephen. Right. Um, mm. Like, it's on the scale every time Joe has, um, you know, Farley, <laughs> the, the, the Ford guy, into the White House, like he did mm -hmm. earlier this year, when he has CEOs for a roundtable. Like, when, like you say, they give giant bags of money to shops that aren't unionized. That's the thumb being on the scale. This is, like, that the thumb occasionally goes on the other scale for the briefest of moments because all eyes are right. on him. Like, you know what? Good that he put his thumb on on the right side of the scale we should all be putting our hands directly on that scale and mashing that thing down mm -hmm. and Absolutely. let's not forget by the way that ratner is somebody who has the experience of putting his thumb on the scale he was somebody who led in the negotiations with the big three auto companies and was part of the obama administration's pressuring of the uaw to accept the cuts that they accepted during the financial crisis so hearing some guy go on about uh you know over you know don't put your thumb on the scale or something like that is rich coming from somebody mm -hmm. who created a lot of the conditions. And look, this is the thing that's going to be really funny in the media right now is a lot of the people on MSNBC, a lot of the people who are going to get uh, space in the New York Times are all people who have advocated against workers while doing that little nasty duplicitous move that you see from Democrats and liberals all the time where they say, I support unions, but also the corporations have a point and right. you know, we need to come together, right? No, right. It's, that shit is over. That ship has sailed. 
Absolutely. And, and, and it's worth pointing out the cuts that Sean Fain fought against. Uh, mm-hmm. not necessarily on principle that at that point in the, you know, uh, in the history, in, you know, in the history of the country and the automakers that, that the UAW members couldn't afford to take something of a haircut, but, uh, in particular, the tears, right? That's mm-hmm. the thing that he was adamant should not ever be in a union contract is the tears. And that is, you know, one of the things that really kind of began his ascent to where he hit where he is now and 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 that history is really you know worth recognizing that these people heading up the UAW are like uh, they are they are really committed to the cause they have put in you know decades uh, fighting to build this this moment to build the UAW for this moment uh, these people have for, for, for decades and you know, that effort and time and, you know, blood and tears and sweat, uh, you know, I deserves real uh, credit. So um, I, I think we should jump over to respond to some of the criticism in, in just a second, um, because I think we want to spend a little bit of time on that. Um, so just like really fast, I mean, it's been interesting to see how the right and the Republicans have to deal with this. You have people like Howie saying this kind of uh, nonsense, one foot in, one foot out. Um, similar kind of things from Vance. You also have the South Carolina delegation that's running for president, um, Nikki Haley and um, Tim Scott, basically attacking uh, the unions. I believe the UAW filed uh, unfair (laughs) unfair labor practice. Yeah, Uh, because actually it's illegal for private sector employers to fire their employees if they go on strike. Now, that is really something of a legal fiction because um, under McKay, you can permanently replace your employees if they go on strike, uh, which is the materially exactly the same as uh, being fired. But you can't say that you are firing, uh, that you're firing your employees if they go on strike and you uh, you can't threaten to do that and you can't do that. And um, and so the, the unfair labor practice charge that the UAW filed against them was based on the fact that his uh, comments generally where he said, if you strike, you're fired. And I think that's a pretty good principle uh, could you and should make that a reality. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it could and should be taken by his private sector staff for his campaign as a threat that if they took their federally, uh, you know, if they took advantage of their federally protected right to strike, that they would be unlawfully fired. Um, so that's the basis for the unfair labor practice. And um, uh, incredible, absolutely incredible <laughs> that the union did that. Just an incredible move. <laughs> uh, you know, so super, super happy uh, to see that. It is interesting to see what sections of the Republican Party are trying to clot what types of groups. Um, but before we get to the YouTube things, I know, um, you know, just wanted to shout out one Rashid Tlaib, who has just been uh, mm. a force from the get go on this. Uh, Cornell West obviously has been out there, um, you know, walking, walking the picket line and speaking very, very well. And obviously, um, none other than Bernie Sanders has been there from the very get-go, you know, continuing to show up. But I know there's another figure, Matt, that we had a clip of that we might want to play before we go to the YouTubers. Uh, Um, Remind me, I'm I'm not sure. The AOC clip. Oh, well, yes, this is AOC on Face the Nation. Um, And, you know, this is kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the endorsement strategy. But it's interesting the way the media comes in on this. And there's a little bit of like... Are the are the is the UAW being a little bit ungrateful? Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, here we go. Here, I 
UAW's president, when he was with us last week, said when I asked him why the union hadn't yet endorsed President Biden, he said that has to be earned. Mm -hmm. That sounds like he's disappointed that party leadership is not doing as much as they could. Do you agree with that? Well, I think it always has to be earned. And President Biden showing up to the picket line on Tuesday is a historic, I mean, there you go. Um, historic I would just say event. Like, we have never seen in be, modern history a president oh, uh, oh, show it, up to a picket a line like side. this. And I think it should be earned. It needs to be earned. And uh, the, I believe that President Biden is is working towards that, especially when he lands in Michigan on Tuesday to earn that. Right. I mean, you know, basically obvious. I, I would say like the squad um, should uh, follow in the lead a little bit more on this front, mm -hmm. um, not immediately endorsing, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that sort of st stuff, holding out leverage. Um, but she's absolutely right. Like, uh, and and then the question of like, um, are they saying they're not doing enough? Yes, that's what that's what he's saying. Like the PRO Act hasn't been mentioned in a while, I don't think, by mm -hmm. Biden. I'd be curious when his last utterance of that is. Um, he needs to do more. And, uh, you know, it's one thing where it's like, why are you afraid to do more, man? Because it's like it's 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 it's. It's good for you, and it's because of these people like Ratner. And they, they, this is a still a, a powerful force in the Democratic Party. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, totally. And like, you know, in the same way, yeah, the, the Democratic Party is still run for the most part behind the scenes by folks who are anti-labor, in my opinion. Um, and it's been good to see some of the openings that, that we've seen. But remember, all this stuff comes from the labor movement itself. Um, and that's where I want to maybe start transitioning over and respond to some of the criticism. And I'll just say a couple things up top, if that's all right. Um, one, I think it's really important in a moment like this for the left, particularly for socialists, um, to be able to do a couple things at once. Um, to one, always recognize the fact that all of these victories that you might be seeing from politicians are coming because of the labor movement, right? I have seen people on our side make arguments, for example, that's like, you know, wanting to sort of re-litigate 2016, 2020 presidential debates saying like, oh, all this stuff is happening because of Joe Biden and the NLRB. That is wrong. Right. There are conditions that are better for workers and there are conditions that are work, worse for other workers. And it's good to advocate for policies and laws and, and all that kind of stuff that are better for unionization. I'm not saying that that's um, wrong, but it becomes a conservative argument when you say this stuff is emanating from Washington when this stuff is emanating from politicians mm -hmm. instead of this is coming from everyday workers democratizing their unions, being willing to fight. That's a really important point uh, to make. Two, uh, when we're responding to this criticism, and if you all have any preamble, let me know too, but uh, um, I think responding to this criticism, it is absolutely all right um, if you are a member of the left, of the labor movement, of the socialist movement, to be able to look at labor tactics, labor strategy, and the labor movement with a critical lens to say, we want this to be successful. We want working power to increase. There are good ways to fight, and there are ways that are worse, and there are ways that are terrible. Right. So, you know, this is being upset at people for criticism is not, oh, my Lord, somebody's criticizing the labor movement. I, I'm able to do that. We do that on this program. Um, people in the labor movement do that. People labor notes do that. People Jackman do that. Right. Um, but it has to be something that is sort of rooted in material reality. So one, so that like you don't go far off into the wilderness with your criticism, but two, so that it ends up 
uh, being helpful and also reflecting uh, the actual conditions that are going on. Because we absolutely do need a more militant uh, labor movement. Um, and that's why it's good to be able to do two things at once, to be able to support these developments, to be able to support Sean Fain saying, hey, it's not just wages, right? Which has been a, an issue in the labor movement in the U.S. for a long time, from a socialist perspective, at least, is that it's almost all, do we have higher wages? Do we have higher wages? Do we have higher wages? Higher wages are important, mm. of course. But these things are about freedom. These things are about democracy. These things are about power. You should have a say in your life at work, just like you have a say in your society and a democracy. You should have a right to free time. You should have a right to a life. Those are fights that are going to have to come through the labor movement. What we're seeing right now from the UAW is that they're doing that thing. And that's a damn good thing that's worth supporting. So anyways, I say all that to say that, like, you know, being upset at the criticism is not, oh, my Lord, somebody's criticized a labor official um, or labor leadership. Right. I'm offended by that. No, it's what kind of criticism is this? Is this something that's rooted? Is this something that is even oriented at making a stronger labor movement? But that's or my preamble. Yeah. Or, or is it oriented towards uh, marketing uh, YouTube channels in an attention economy? <laughs> so you sort of set the table for an I told you so situation. It's like watching David and Goliath and being like the entire time, like David better use this exact strategy or he's going to lose. You heard it here first, folks. And then David gets crushed and it's like, yeah, look at that. You should have listened to me. Um, that's what's going on here. I mean, at least in my uh, un ungenerous opinion. Um, and yeah, like, I think, you know, if people were within like the UAW, like, and I mean, Fane himself has even talked about, like, this is what I'm saying, like these dialogues that these people saying aren't happening because like the Democrats get involved, they're happening. And to to mm -hmm. paint the whole brush that all these people have been duped by like the campaign apparatus of the DNC mm. is, right. you know, I mean, you know what, maybe that's good for a YouTube channel. Right. Well, and, and I, I, I want to echo what you said, David, uh, not reflexively critical. Um, and, and I want to add, you know, when, when we are critical, I think it's important to be critical in a comradely way when we're not fighting against class enemies. You know, mm -hmm. I, the way that I speak about the, the, the way that I speak about disagreements with unions when I do it publicly it's going to be totally different than the way that I speak about uh, disagreements with politicians. And, and also, you know, the, the level at which a disagreement has to rise, uh, for me anyway, I'm a, I'm a union member. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I'm much more reticent to go public with criticisms. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, more willing to talk about things offline that I, that, that I have issue with, that I have issues with than I am publicly. And I think, I think that's what you should do in a movement of comrades, of sisters and brothers. And th that's the way that I approach it. Um, that, that you, like you said, you sure, certainly should not be reflexively critical of a union. Like that's just not really a good place to be in. And, and then when you are critical, I do think it's important to be so in a comradely way, like, like where you can, which is not to say that there is never a place where you could, where, where you can say like, okay, I'm going to be critical and like not a comradely way. And we can actually look to who else but Sean Fain for, for an example of that, uh, where he was interviewed, uh, recently, um, talking about comparing him to his predecessors, uh, predecessors who other than the person that he immediately replaced, the last two, uh, went to jail for, <laughs> for corruption. Right. So, uh, you know, he was critical in a not comradely way when he talked about how, 
you know, uh, leaders in his union, his whole career talked about how we want to live to fight another day. We want to live to fight another day. And he was like, well, I uh, another day came and another day went and we never fought. And now anytime I hear that, I want to beat the shit out of somebody. <laughs> right. And so, like, OK, there's you know, there <laughs> that's a good way to be, I think. Right. Um, and, and that's just that's just not what I'm seeing from a lot of these people who are being critical of, of the strategy is that they are, they are being reflexively critical. And then for most of them, they're not being critical in a comradely way. Yeah. And you know, maybe we should take a little detour to, I think what is being mentioned by a lot of these folks, a, a genuine low point in the Biden administration is the train strike, right? Mm -hmm. Biden. Uh, and I think there's a balance that needs to be struck here. Like I think, I don't support Biden uh, uh, in the way that he handled the train strike. I think they should have got the sick days right then instead of piecemeal after the mm -hmm. fact um, has been happening. But I am not quite ready to call Sean Fain, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a union buster, a scab for being with Joe Biden after Joe Biden did that to the rail strike. I think we need to, like, right. actually strike a balance. We need to be aware that, like, like yes, um, uh, we need... A stronger labor movement so that can't happen so it can't be uh you know work with us now and then we'll get you on the back end um and mm -hmm. when this isn't this can't be seen as like a class conflict victory right like yeah right. like but there's this there's just a flat-out difference um i think between like i think a lot of these folks like have a tough time admitting that there's a flat-out difference between the democratic party's relationship with labor and the republicans republicans mm -hmm. are adversarial and the democrats are transactional and like in a not a great way right? right and that's just like reality and it's totally fine to have a transactional relationship with a politician i think and and i i actually um even a I, republican I spoke, even, exactly and that's where i was going because um a, a union for the TVA was fighting against outsourcing uh, their IT workers like back in, gosh, this was like 2020 or something. Yeah, we covered it on this program. Uh, yeah. I had the president of that local union on my show, and now she's uh, the international president, actually. Um, and uh, so they um, the, the union was fighting outsourcing. And who else did they get to headline a rally? In Alabama, where 40 of those jobs were in Huntsville at the uh, you know Huntsville office of the TVA, uh, but Jeff Sessions, <laughs> okay, and I did not have a problem with that because uh, you know it, it would be one thing if Jeff Sessions went in there and he said this is about you know Biden's EV policy or whatever you know even that's uh, <laughs> because that wasn't uh, you know. He didn't distract from the issue. He came and he spoke at that rally and he made announcements and he like wrote to Trump about the issue, right? Which was the outsourcing of jobs. And he did it in like a kind of a xenophobic way. And like, you know, he hates immigrants and all of this kind of stuff. But like he did the thing that the union was asking for. And that is not what even the Republicans who are supporting the strike are doing. It's like just a totally different thing that these people are doing. And so, you know, Transactional relationships are good and uh, get things from just you just have to get things from the transactions. Well, let's get to some of these folks. Um, we've, been, so, we've been teasing uh, it. Yeah, we'll start with I think uh, this is a nice succinct summary summary by uh, Sabrina Savaltini uh, about kind of this Democrat infiltrator uh, hypothesis. I told you a couple of days ago that their Democrat politicians have been 
infiltrating these unions and they're having meetings with these union bosses and the presidents and things like that. Next thing you know, they're not going on strike anymore. They're doing this rollout mini strike. Okay, so there's like, that's actually really a great clip um, because that's what, 15 seconds and there are like 10 things to jump on. Um, let's maybe, uh, um, I mean, let's start with the, with the, with the last argument here is that like, they're not going on strike mm. anymore and they've been mm -hmm. co-opted by the democratic party to not striking. We've talked about this during this thing, but like that is so untethered, um, from the actual material reality of what the standup strike has been. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, just to be, uh, to be totally charitable to her, this was pretty. This was recorded pretty soon after the uh, strike was announced, and um, to be rightfully uncharitable to her, she has not covered the strike since then, or any of the gains that they have made at the bargaining table, or any of the expansions that they made at, of the strike at GM and Stellantis. Uh, so you know, not exactly sure if that just doesn't fit into the narrative, and she doesn't want to talk about it, or what the issue is there, but. Um, you know, uh, but but even then, right? You know, the idea that that you're just going to kind of mock this strategy uh, with without you know critically engaging with it. I mean, it's it's clear that she was not critically engaging. And, and like, you know, can this can a strategy of escalation work? And that is is really the question here. We talked about this on on our program last weekend, but like. Escalation is just so, so fundamental <laughs> to, to, to organizing, to union organizing, to community organizing, to any kind of organizing that you're going to do, you escalate uh, because in most cases, you just, you can't actually go all out at any time that you want. You have to escalate. And as you escalate, you build power. Um, and, and also... You don't want to put a bunch of people at risk if you don't have to, to get what you want. Because, right, the, the reason that you strike is not just because it's fun to strike or because, you know, we have like a revolutionary fetish. It is to get things from the company. And so if you can get things from the company without making your member without encouraging your members to go on strike or without without your members having to go on strike like that's the win-win there right and and i think as a as a class struggle unionist i recognize the value uh, the educational value of striking for the people that are on strike and for the people who watch it play out in the media i think it is transformational but you have to respect and honor people's lives and their livelihoods. And striking is not a thing that you can just tell people to do uh, because that's what you want them to do, uh, because that would help your like YouTube show. Um, and, and, and that's what's frustrating to me about this, because it seems clear that that's that's like uh, the only way that they're engaging with this struggle is like, how, how does it benefit, you know, my YouTube program? Well, I mean, you know, there, there's a few things here and I don't want to front load it because I know we have more clips and things to get to, but I, I will say that like there's a substitution that is sort of um, common in, in a lot of these criticisms where one position, one tactic is sort of put up as the radical one and the other mm. one is like the less radical. And like, when you got to think about this, like going on strike, what the UAW is doing, by the way, I just like when you just have to completely <laughs> reject the narrative that they're not on strike, it's bizarre. Um, 
it's like having an argument, maybe to use like a revolutionary analogy of like certain kinds of military tactics, right? Like mm -hmm. a war of positions, right? Where you entrench a military force in a certain area or you participate in guerrilla warfare, right? For example, two different types. Neither of those is necessarily more radical than the other, right? Mm -hmm. They are both ends, um, means to an end, right? They're both strategies to get a certain kind of goal. And if you came around and said, oh, well, this is the military tactic that is more radical, I think everyone can understand how absurd that argument would be to make. And this is the same kind of thing when you're talking about going on strike is that this is a tactical decision for how to engage in class struggle against the companies. Um, but I don't wanna miss this really important thing that was noted in, in that clip is that the, the saying that the democratic politicians and operatives have infiltrated the union is one wrong, right? Again, mm -hmm. as we've noted, the UAW's refused to endorse Biden, um, has been fairly you know, moderate um, in the way it's expressed, but fairly critical of policies that are coming mm -hmm. from that party on these kind of things. But more so than previously, like right. also just says they, they infiltrated and now all of a sudden they're harsher. <laughs> but most importantly, <laughs> what that does is it completely denies the activity and the actions mm. of the union members who are doing this, right? And we've been on the other side, we've been saying to everybody, it's like, we love Sean Fain on this program. I think he's great. I think he's an incredible communicator. And I think that he has been an incredible force for making that union more democratic and more radical, militant, etc. But this is not coming because of Sean Fain fell from the moon. This is mm. coming from a democratic organized movement within the UAW to fight for these kind of things. So when you push this kind of conspiratorial stuff, right, um, almost copy and pasted, right, because this is very similar to things that are said about other things too, by the way, by a lot of these these folks. Um, you know, Cornel West is a Democrat because he mentions racism. Sorry. <laughs> You are denying, um, and I don't know if they've said that, um, just to be fair, but, uh, um, you know, you were denying like the agency and the activity and the working class movement that mm -hmm. is delivering these things right now. And I find that to be very regrettable to be polite about it. Totally. And the, you know, and, and this, the organization was there before Sean Vang got there um, because he, he couldn't have, you can't just come up into a disorganized group of 140,000 people and, you know, have people go on strike, uh, you know, without some sort of organization being there. And the organization was even there under the previous leadership, right? I don't know how many of these people walked the GM picket lines in 2019, mm -hmm. but I did. And I spoke to a lot of those people who were on strike in the deep south. In Tennessee is where I walked the picket line with these people, and they went on strike, and they had very, very, very few scabs. And when I talked to them on the picket line, I was like, "Why are y'all striking? You know, what, what's you know what's kind of the the deal here?" Um, because on the news, you didn't get a lot of it because the last administration was not nearly as transparent. They more or less just said GM isn't where we want them to be, and so we're going to go on strike. And that's all that the members knew. I, I was like, what, you know, why are, why are y'all on strike? What, what is it? Where do they need to move? And they were like, the bargaining team says they're not where they need to be. So, um, you know, uh, leadership said to go on strike. And so we're going on strike. Right. And that, that is a, that's a strike ready union, right? That you are, you know, that you've got trust in your leadership and you are willing to forego. Remember in 2019, four months of pay. And that was before the UAWD's uh, caucus was able to push through the $500 a week strike pay. That was four months of no paycheck with $275 a week strike pay, 
right? This is a strike-ready organization. And so absolutely there's a huge amount of credit that needs to be go, uh, that, that needs to go to these people that when uh, you know when we remove when we remove their autonomy just like the bosses right the bosses are the ones who tell us that workers are automatons and cannot produce but for the uh, you know the intelligence of the directing executives that's the mindset that they're supposed to have not us right um, and so absolutely want to echo that and and um, you know uh, uh, and, and again compliment the, the you know the, the bargaining team for letting the membership and the world in on what's happening at the bargaining table because that's never happened at the UAW let's let's make something clear because I do think that people have uh, uh, different experiences with this by the way Jacob. Um, who gets to have the final say on a contract and whether or not they end up lifting this, right? The members. The it's not the Democratic Party. It is not the Democratic Party, actually. So the Nor is the bargaining seat. Come in. Yeah, where yeah. does Hillary and people no, let's, let's come break in. this down really quick because I do think that this is actually something that a lot of people yeah. don't understand. Is that when when they get a contract from these mm -hmm. big three and they end up deci maybe deciding to potentially end this strike, who the final say will come from rank and file. Yes, absolutely. And that's what happened in Canada where, you know, the UNIFOR, the union that represents uh, auto workers in Canada, they uh, just ratified a tentative agreement with Ford. Uh, the membership ratified it. Uh, now, it was very small. And so uh, the, the percentage that ratified it, it was 54%. Uh, so you could tell it was pretty controversial to ratify a contract among the Canadian union members while their American sisters and brothers were on strike fighting for more. Um, but it was ratified by who the members, not by the liberals in Canada, uh, and it will not be ratified by the Democrats in in uh, you know the United States. And 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 so what happens is when you are when bargaining starts, or sometimes in the middle of bargaining, but uh, there will be what's called a strike authorization vote, and that is is not uh, contrary to the belief of some. Uh, a vote about a strike strategy or even whether or not to strike, right? Because there are many a times where a strike authorization vote is taken and they don't strike and the members vote to ratify the contract as happened at UPS. And so if you think that a strike authorization vote is a vote to strike and yet the members voted to ratify a deal without a strike, you're going to be kind of confused about what's going on. And so it's important to understand that's not what's happening. When they vote yes in a strike authorization vote, what they're doing is empowering the committee to call a strike if necessary. Does not have a strike plan, does not have a commitment to strike anywhere or at any particular time. It is empowering the committee to call a strike kind of when and where they feel like they need to as, as bargaining uh, dictates. And then if the, and, and if the committee doesn't feel like there needs to be a strike and they have a tentative agreement, they kick it to the membership and the membership votes on it. And at that point, the membership is empowered to reject the contract with the implicit mandate to strike or accept the contract and say this is fine. We don't have to strike. I like what I've been. I like what I've been given. Right? It's in the. It, it's in the. Yeah. It's in the members' hands. It's kind of the short and sweet of it. <laughs> yeah. No. I think it's an important point. And I, I know we have another clip that we want to get to. Right. Um, so let, let's jump over to that. But I will just say also, and, and people, if they want um, more on this, and I'm sure you do. Um, the the good folks at the Valley Labor Report also have have covered this pretty in depth. Also, some of the other things 
that have come out from the RBN, including uh, interviewing somebody who's sort of associated with the World Socialist website, um, who have regularly oh, sort of uh, shown up and caused a bit of trouble. Hey, just because um, you're afraid to criticize the labor aristocracy, a term, you know, I'm very <laughs> proud that I know, um, you know, just because mm -hmm. you're a Democrat. Um, but we got a clip, um, you know, from previous guest to this program, Shama Sawant, now doing media, I believe. Um, here is her, and, and this is sort of, I guess, a more maybe upscale version of the critique that kind of- As the Associated saw. Press reported, Marek Masters, a business professor at Wayne State University in Detroit, said, quote, the union didn't go after the company's big cash cows, which are full-size pickup trucks and big SUVs, and went more for plants that make vehicles with lower profit margins, end quote. So it appears that these are not strategic locations at all. And Masters goes on to speculate about the logic of the union leadership saying, quote, they want to give the companies some space without putting them up against the wall. They are not putting them right into the corner. You put an animal in the corner and it's dangerous, end quote. But this is absolutely not how you win a strike by letting the company off easy. This was not the strategy of the 1930s auto workers who backed the auto industry bosses against the wall in every way. That is how they won. In fact, it is dangerous for the workers and the union movement to give the bosses the room to maneuver and undermine the strike by allowing production and delivery to continue during the strike. Okay, so I want to get y'all's responses uh, to this, but I will just say, um, you know, th this side of the criticism, I think, will be more comradely because I think unlike other figures that, you know, Shama is someone who is a genuine uh, socialist, genuinely wants to see victory for working people. And if you watch the full extent of, of, of the clip, it's not a bunch of conspiracy theories about the UAW being overtaken by the Democratic Party. In fact, it's a lot of praise uh, for a lot of the things that have come into uh, in, 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 into the public light uh, via the, the UAW's uh, media appearances and arguments and things like that. So more comradely, but still, this is a bad argument. Um, and I think we can get into some of the reasons uh, why here. I think uh, maybe to start, I know you mentioned it earlier, Jacob, but could you remind people about the parallels between stand-up strikes tactic and the sit-down strike, uh, which if you watch the full video is something that they're sort of praising, saying, hey, this is how you do it. And what they're doing right now is not how you do it. Right. Yeah. And and I didn't even I didn't even know this. I just knew that they were that, that the UAW was calling back to the sit down strike as uh, as something that they wanted to remind people of. And as something that they kind of see themselves in the lineage of and the tradition of in this stand up strike. Um, but I really didn't know just a whole lot about the sit down strike. And, 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 you know, to be honest, it's not like my, you know, I haven't read like books on it or anything. Right. But uh, I have you know found out since in response to this criticism, actually, that uh, the sit-down strike uh, was not a strike against the entire production of one of the big three automakers. It was, in fact, started at one facility, believe it or not, and then uh, went to a second plant like a couple of weeks later, and at, uh, and then maybe went, I, I can't remember if uh, they said that, it, if what I read said that they went to another, uh, another plant after that, but then they were able to get a deal. And so, you know, it is actually 
totally it's totally in line with what they did in the sit down strike with with the starting at one plant and then escalating it's like almost exactly literally what happened in the sit down strike except they're not sitting down and the shop floor is there standing up at the gates outside walking a picket line and so that kind of a historical analysis was was surprising to me coming from Kashama Sawant because I do have more respect for her than I do other these these other folks um and and like you said, David, I do think that this criticism was more comradely, and in the context of the of the rest of the video, there was a lot of there was a lot of of, of history and context given that if you watch this video, you are not going to come away. If you watch that entire video, you're not going to come away hating Sean Fain, right? You but I, I sorry not to cut you off, but like I, I do just want to note though that at the same time this was clipped and put out on yes. the internet solo. So it you know there there is right. I think it's very fair to make the larger point, but also this was set out standalone, right? Yes. As its own product, yep. Yes. Yeah. That that is true. That's absolutely true. And and so so yeah, it just seems, you know, a a historical, uh not true. And and again, so I can just not, jump into like yeah like it's a both a historical and also like the metaphor isn't terribly convincing to me like it's it'd be one thing if the history was wrong but like strategy seems sound but like the metaphor of getting the animal cornered like well it's like what if that's your only if you're putting all of your like eggs in one basket and then what happens if the animal is able to turn like right. I, that metaphor like it's just not that's just not persuasive to me. but again like I, I only saw that clip yeah, yeah, it, it's not persuasive that that actually you should put the animal in the corner uh, in all cases at the very beginning, right? Uh, like I, I think that's a that's a very good point. You know, if you put all of your eggs in one bas basket, what happens? Because I mean, because you know, the the person quoted in the AP, I mean, there's there's some value to that, and it did not seem to me that she engaged with that. You know what? Uh, you know, if you put an animal into a corner, it can do some crazy things. And and what happens if, if Ford and GM and, and you know what if they do some crazy things? What's going to happen then? If you're already you know you've done everything that you can do basically once you're on strike, uh, and there's not really a whole lot of escalation to do after that. Right. And and so uh, you know so it's it's worth thinking about kind of the other side of of what happens if you carry out that strategy. See, again, like this is the reason that th this criticism sort of frustrates me a lot, right? Is because, as you were noting, like th this entire strike, this entire strategy from the UAW is built on the concept of escalation and being able to say, hey, if you aren't negotiating, um, you know, we're going to increase the pressure on you. So it's not saying, hey, we're not going to go after the big money makers. Right. It's saying, like, hey, like that's on the table and you guys better show up and give us the things that we want or we will start hitting those kind of things. Also, as we've right. been noting time and time again throughout this entire segment, what this allows within the union and within the nation um, is something that's really important, right? So like, let's say there are members in the UAW leadership or people who might be on the fence, right? Who well, I'm not saying that they wouldn't show up on strike, but maybe would be more uh, prepared to take a deal earlier than mm. others, right? If they were engaged in this. Well, what this allows is for certain facilities to go on strike earlier, to build that enthusiasm, to build that confidence, to build that like emotional power. Um, to then be utilized in a material and strategic way um, so that, yeah, you know, maybe those people who might be on the fence after three, four weeks of the strike going on, man, seeing the celebrations of, of um, your brothers yeah. and sisters in the union going on strike elsewhere, you're ready for your chance uh, mm -hmm. to go and do that and to join them. This allows for you to build up um, that kind of solidarity to be able to put maybe some levels of pressure, um, but I think more importantly, building up enthusiasm 
so right. that when people are called up, they're ready to go. And look, I think this criticism could be, you know, interesting or fair if we were seeing, for example, that the UAW sort of immediately started walking things back. Mm -hmm. But since that video came out, what has happened? Um, well, more plant, more, more facilities are on strike across the country. Right. Right. And that's what we're that's what it looks like we're going to be seeing for a while. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where like there's a kind of criticism to me that comes from people on my side. Right. Socialists. Right. Um, that sometimes feels a little copy and paste. Right. Yeah. And it's copy and paste, regardless of what the situations are. And the copy and paste is effectively that there's a lot of people in leadership um, who might sort of be on our side to a certain extent, but they're not willing to go all the way. When, in fact, one of Sean Fain's most uh, one of my favorite bits from some of his live streams and talks that he's been giving has been the only question that like we have in front of us is how far are you willing to go to fight for yourself and for your family and for your union? Mm -hmm. Right. So that is the message that's coming from within the UAW is like, we got to be prepared for a long fight, not, hey, it's time now. You know, we got them scared to back down. Right. It's saying, hey, we're going to get these these wins and yeah, we'll expand if necessary. Absolutely. And, and you know, pointing out that that, yes, you know, now that especially now that we've had a week to kind of analyze what's been happening, uh, they've expanded the strike and they've made huge progress at the table, especially real, especially with Ford. You know, I mean, just just to go through some of them again, Ford's parts distribution plants uh, were on a separate uh, se second tier that's been eliminated at Ford. And that's why, you know, this is why it, it's uh, they haven't expanded it to Ford because they've been able to reward Ford's movement. And and punishing GM and Stellantis's lack of movement, and do, by doing that, showing Ford we've got more to come if you don't meet us the rest of the way. So I mean, it's it's, it's really been helpful. But Ford reinstating the cola from 2009, giving up the right to strike over plant closures—that is huge. Income security for two years in the event of an of an indefinite layoff. Immediate conversion of all temporary employees with 90 days of service. A 13% increase in profit sharing. Uh, you know, I mean, that's like these are. Uh, <laughs> These are big things at, at Ford. And, and I mean, not just at Ford, but GM has eliminated that tier of parts distribution uh, workers, uh, GM and Stellantis are no longer asking for concessions and profit sharing. So, you know, I mean, the analysis is that there's obviously some pressure that these companies mm -hmm. are under. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't have moved after the strike. If there was no, it, you know, there was actually one, uh, you know, one of these people, and I can't remember who it was, said that that uh, this gives you, uh, this is the opposite of giving you leverage. This gives the company leverage, um, which yeah. if, if that was your analysis, you know, you really got to kind of kind of look back and say, Say, should I trust this person anymore? Because if it gave the company leverage, what would have happened is that they would have taken away things that they had on the bargaining table before. Mm -hmm. But that's the opposite of what happened. And so, you know, you really kind of, if you're that person, I would encourage you to kind of, if you're serious about this, like, take a seat and like think about, wow, why was I so wrong about this? <laughs> and if you listen to that person, maybe downgrade your confidence in their analysis. You're quiet, Matt. I was just, I just said, well said. No, I mean, I, I think that, that's, that's perfect. And look, I think, um, you know, we could maybe at another date have a more holistic conversation about these things. But as I said earlier, it's just this. It's like there is a substitution that's going on that is sort of privileging a, a certain tactic and substituting it in, like through substitution, sort of saying like this is the radical option and this is not. But mm -hmm. as I was trying to argue earlier, it's like these are tactics, right? And tactics are different from political orientation or even radicalism. They are tools that are being used. And I just don't see how you can be looking at what's happening right now and saying, 
um, that, you know, that these things aren't being effective. There are people who know way more about organizing and, and strategy than I, um, who might have like legitimate criticisms of some of the tactics and strategies out there. So I'm not saying that there's no possibility. And if you ever hear any kind of criticism, it's necessarily wrong. But both of the ones that we just engaged with right here, which seem to sort of represent, I think, um, to different degrees, a, a kind of common one that we're getting from certain portions of, of the left. I don't find those to be very well rooted in the actual political reality and the material reality of what's going on uh, with this kind of strike. Um, so look, um, <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to add, Jacob, to that? I mean, I know, uh, you know, we could go for like another hour yeah, if no. we want to, but. Uh, no, I, I think that that's, you know, really, uh, that, that's really, I think, all that I wanted to say, you know, and I, <laughs> I've been gear, I, I've been really chomping at the bit to talk about this stuff for for a while now because uh, I just I can't stand it when people are wrong on the internet and especially <laughs> when it's in this area, like I really it just gets at, like it you know it gets stuck in my craw and I can't stand it and uh, so you know I, I, and, and yeah, this I mean, happens. So yeah, I was well, say, I, some of these people, and I'm not including Shama here, but some of these people right. just stick to whatever bullshit you're talking about 90% of the other time and leave the unions <laughs> out of it. Like, honestly. Yeah, right. Yeah. If, if, yeah. If you don't want me, like, uh, uh, you know, writing your, uh, um, your, your chat or your emails, then, uh, you know, just <laughs> stop talking about this and, uh, you'll get at least this union boss out of your inbox. Uh, this <laughs> union boss who is a bargaining unit employee and spends all of his union time on his own time. Uh, but you know, that's what some people say. Um, but, but yeah, you know, their labor coverage, uh, these people, the revolutionary blackout, um, you know, not necessarily Kashama, uh, but revolutionary blackout, uh, those do dissidents folks. It's just always been, it's been universally terrible. You know, I mean, I actually heard on revolutionary blackout that like the pro act was bad and it was going to make it harder to do unions. And which is just kind of, you know, so removed <laughs> from, mm. you know, what, what's actually going on that, that it's crazy that you could actually say that and believe it. But you know, uh, that's, they, that's what they say. They say that they they believe this stuff so um, good luck with jimmy door guys yeah yeah i'm sure he's been covering this uh, very frequently and uh, very responsibly sure. um jacob <laughs> jacob uh i really appreciate talking to you as always folks there are links below y'all should definitely be listening to the valley labor report if you aren't already um we'll have links to the youtube channel but could you remind folks um who are in your area where they can listen to y'all on the old school radio that's right that's right we are on the radio um in huntsville we are live 9 30 to 11 a.m on saturdays on 92.5 fm 7 70 a.m in muscle shoals a recording of the program plays at 11 a.m on WZZA, uh, 14.50 a.m. And in New Orleans, our uh, recording of our program plays at 5 a.m. on uh, 102.3 WHIV. Um, so those are the places that you can listen to us on the radio. Um, and if you want to get us on the radio in your area, then send us, uh, send us a note, tblr.fm slash contact. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much, friend. Uh, everybody, Matt and I are going to go over to the post game, patreon.com slash left reckoning to get access. We got some good stuff from behind the vault for y'all. Communism is here and it's arriving through publicly owned grocery stores. And oh, it's announced oh. by Tim Pool. So, <laughs> patreon.com slash left reckoning. <laughs> All right, folks. And remember, just the last thing I'll say is remember, everybody, this is something that this is a time where it's very good to be online um, and to be out there publicly supporting the UAW, continuing to push those numbers up, up, up. Public support for the UAW is incredible. What, 75% that we've been seeing in some of these poll ones. Um, let's see that get up to 90. So this is a good time to do your epic up. posting yeah. and, and memes and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. look at where these uh, strikes are happening. This is a great time uh, to show up at a picket line. Um, and to be able to show uh, your support in person to all these folks. But yeah, thank you so much, Jacob. And we're going to go over the post game, patreon.com slash left reckoning. I'll see y'all back on Thursday for a Griscom stream and for everyone else. Take care. Peace.